terrific. We can start if you're ready. Show. I'm delighted to be uh, bringing Trillia Newbell onto the show. She needs no introduction, but I'll give you one anyway. She's the author of the kids' book, God's Very Good Idea, as well as Enjoy, Finding the Freedom to Delight Daily in God's Good Gifts, Fear and Faith, Finding the Peace Your Heart Craves. It goes on and on. Uh, she's a, a, a regular blogger, writer, and uh, contributor to many different publications like Christianity Today, The Gospel Coalition, and many more She's a much sought-after speaker at conferences all around the country, the world for that matter, and she's got a new book called If God is For Us. It's a six-week Bible study of Romans 8. Trillia, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for that introduction. It's really kind. Well, it's all true, and I, I, you know, I don't want to try to help you sell books today, but I'm buying six of them <laughs> myself. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> because I, I want this to be uh, what my my Bible study is going to do uh, coming oh, up. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. That's so I think this is an, a great book. It's uh, well laid out. It's accessible. And it's Romans 8, which I think we can't get to Romans 8 soon enough as a Bible study. Oh, that's incredible. I agree. Yeah, oh, <laughs> Apart no, I agree from too. Me, yeah. <laughs> Romans 8 is such a rich chapter. Now, do you uh, want me to keep selling the book, or do you want to talk about it yourself? Because I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy to keep going. Well, you can keep going, but I would love to engage as well. <laughs> okay. Well, and of course, you've got some wonderful endorsements. I know uh, Dr. Tim Keller loves it, and I'm a big fan of his. And uh, Karen Ellis, I love Karen Ellis, and Jen Wilkin. I mean, so all the right names show up on the endorsements, and I think it's uh, quite an accomplishment the whole thing is beautiful, including the cover. So nice work. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So why dig into Romans 8? Well, you kind of explained it. <laughs> you did. All right. That wraps up I our did. interview. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for talking. Yeah. Well, have a good day. It, yeah. <laughs> it is so rich. And and I think there there are so many promises and, and assurances of our faith in these texts. But even beyond some of the things that we we all know, maybe three, there 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 is therefore now no condemnation. Yes. Um, who shall come against us, et cetera? We know a few of them. But yes. There's so much more in the text about life in the spirit and being empowered, and that we're that we approach God as, as His child, and we can say, "Cry out, Abba, Father." And what does that mean? And so there's so much in it that is that I I wanted to um, I wanted to for myself just sit in it and then share it with others. Mm-hmm. Trillia, talk about how important it is for a mature Christian to completely devour this chapter, to understand it, and to be able to know what's in it and how it applies to your life. Well, a mature Christian, I think because it's you're, you're learning about what is life in the Spirit, how do we put off the flesh because we still battle with sin, and what is that power? what does that power look like? And then understanding that we are going to suffer. We are going to suffer in the Christian life. So I think often or sometimes you think, oh, you become a Christian, happy-go-lucky. No, that's not the, the, the life that we're promised. And so what, what does it look like to be assured of God's faithfulness and nearness and suffering and that it's momentary <laughs> and to be reminded of that? And so that, that's all in this text. And then the assurance of Christ's love for us and our salvation and that we can rest in that. So I, I think sometimes we think the gospel's for the unbeliever. No, the gospel's for us. 
the gospel is for everyone, anyone who believes and those who do not believe. So we need to be reassured of our faith. And Romans 8 does all of that. Mm-hmm. Trilio, is it a uh, is it good advice for someone not to who's listening to this to to race to their Bible to read Romans eight? Is it smart to sit down and just read the whole book of Romans just to get things in the right perspective and context? I think if you had to race through and read Romans eight, you would be fed because okay. God is so faithful in His Word. But I do think that reading the entire book of Romans and getting the context of Romans 8 is important. It's important for um, understanding the text. It's important to understand um, and see some of the repeated themes. So, for example, some of the things that you see in the rhetorical questions at the end, you're going to see in Romans 5. Mm -hmm. So that's good to know these things. Um, So I would encourage someone, if you're going to read Romans 8, read the whole book. And and read what, especially if you, Romans one through seven to just lead up to Romans eight because the, the second half of the book is a um, though all applicable difference. It's in and so I think um, I think it's important to read the the Bible in the context in its full context. Mm-hmm. But if someone has 10 minutes and that's all they have, I say read Romans 8, too. <laughs> I love it. All right, let's set the stage for the book of Romans, just for the listeners, just to get them fully excited. Uh, who wrote the book of Romans? Paul. Paul, okay. And approximately when was it written? Oh, goodness. Well, I didn't know. Let me look. <laughs> was it AD 64? I don't remember. That sounds about right. But, that sounds about right. Okay. Yes. That is a, that is my memory. So I'm. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I'm going to go with that, you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. So, uh, I know. <laughs> and then who was the book of Romans written to? Okay, so Paul writes to churches. Yes. So he's writing to the church of Rome. And um and so he's writing to to Christians, which I think a lot of people because they think of or some people, they think of Romans and they think of the maybe the Romans road or or whatnot. And but he he's writing to to Christians. Okay. Let's talk about some of the things that would normally trip people up as they're reading Romans. Um what are some red flags that come up that people have come to you with and said, Boy, I read Romans and I, I keep hearing about the circumcision and I'm going, Oh, what is that? Yeah. Okay. Well, (laughs) I think a lot of people don't understand Old Testament um, references or the law and what the how the law applies to um, the the faith and what is it between the Jew and the Greek and what is all. So Mm -hmm. I do think that a lot of people would come to this book with and be confused potentially. But God is not a God of confusion. So I, I think it's, I still believe because he says little children can know my gospel, that people can come to the book and you might just have to read it slowly. Here's some tips. Um, Most Bibles have um, places where you can cross-reference. They'll have little numbers where you can look and, 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 and research and go back to another text so that you can gain more understanding. And um, and so there's different ways for us to understand God's Word. So I think one is cross-referencing, making mm-hmm. sure that you, so that you can understand. You can also um, – <laughs> you can use the Bible to explain the Bible. Of course. You can also use commentaries, um, and there's other resources 
out there. Um, I do hope that my Bible, my Bible study will help guide people through the text slowly so that people can gain understanding and better understand what the text means. So, um, and then of course the spirit pray that the Lord would reveal his word to you. Yes. Um, and because he's faithful and he's good to do that. So there's lots of things. Um, even, even in Romans eight itself at the, there, I, I had a, one lady ask me or tell me that some people skip parts of Romans eight because it talks about predestination. <laughs> and so what, so there's lots of um, things that you would have to wrestle with and, and, that's what's the beauty, I think, of God's Word in general. So much of it, we are reading and wrestling and asking God, okay, what does this mean and why? And one day we'll see Him face to face and we'll be like, okay, Lord, what did you really mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. What did you really mean by those texts? And I think it'll be great. Yeah. When I think of Romans 8 and verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, there's a sense of belonging, a sense of a of adoption, the sense of being part of God's family, where you're not even eligible to be led by the Spirit until you're part of the family of God. Am I interpreting that right? Yes. So that's, that's I think, one of the reasons why it's important to understand the context and who he's talking to. He's mm-hmm. saying, Christian, yes. you are, you are um, led by the Spirit because you know God and you have been filled with his Spirit and you are one of his, you are his child. And so, um, so one of the things that I encourage people to do is as you finish reading Romans 8, you're going to, if by God's grace, you're going to understand that God, he has given us so much through his son, through his spirit. Um, and we can not keep this to ourselves. <laughs> no, I'm with you on that. Yeah, and so we want to go and tell it to the world because we. that's why I'm, I'm thinking of Romans 1 where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. And so I want to take all this knowledge and be encouraged, built up and assured, and then go share it with others Yeah, because it, it relates to me, but it doesn't relate to everyone. It's almost truly really like we should talk about this on a radio show. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about uh, freedom from the the spirit of slavery, that we did not receive this spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Let's talk about how we are have freedom and why it's so vital to understand that. Yes, we are not bound to our old ways. We are not bound to our sin, and we're not bound—we don't have to say yes. We have power because of the Spirit to say no, to um, resist temptation so that we do not fall into sin. And in Corinthians, uh, one of them, first or second, <laughs> um, it says that, <laughs> we, <laughs> that um, we have a way of escape. Jesus has provided a way of escape. And um, so the Spirit enables us to identify sin and to resist the, t- the flesh and the temptations that we have. And again, Paul writes in Romans that we, um, w- we, we battle. There's a battle there that sometimes we'll say yes or, or when, my, when I want to do right, 
wrong is right there with me. Mm-hmm. And so I think we want to just be aware of that and know that we don't have to be a slave to sin. We have we have God on our side um, fighting for us, and we can also resist the flesh through the, the power of um, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Trillia, I, I know that there's uh, many people in their faith journey are are not quite sure that they're part of the family of God. And I love Romans 8.16 that says, The Spirit himself bears witness, witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And I know I'm a child of God. I know because I know because I know. Yeah. Well, you're exactly right. I think there's a few reasons why people will battle. One, just doubt, struggle with doubt. Mm-hmm. Others would struggle with condemnation, which is why I think it's so important. We're going to sin, so it's important to remember that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we do sin, we repent. First um, John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us. So we repent of our sins, and, um, and we confess it in turn. But so, so those are a few things. But a good sign, I think, um, obviously— God, he does that work, and one way he witnesses is if there is an, a, a tension there when you, when you sin and you're not just okay with it, but there is something battling in your spirit, and you want you, – you know that it grieves the Lord, and so you're going to run to him with that. Um, then, then you can be a – you can rest in his, the finished work of Jesus Christ and confess that sin. So I, I do think that the Spirit, it bears witness, and one way it does is through conviction and our our active pursuit of confession and repentance. Mm-hmm. Trillia Newbell is my guest, and her book is If God is For Us. It's the everlasting truth of our great salvation. It's a, it is a six-week Bible study of Romans 8, which I'm holding in my hand, which I can't wait to buy five more copies of. Uh, We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Trillia in just a minute. I have Trillia Newbell on the studio line. She's the author of Envy, Joy, and Faith, United, and the children's book, God's Very Good Idea. She is currently the director of community outreach for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, Trillia, as I'm looking over your Bible study, your six-week Bible study of Romans, I'm very excited about it because I love Romans. I love Romans 8. And when I look at Romans 8, verse 17, I'm reminded that it says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Uh, suffering is something that gets hard to talk about in the world today. Nobody it wants to do hard. it. Yes, no one wants to talk about suffering, and no one wants to experience it. We want to, we don't, we don't want to suffer, but um, we will, we will suffer. And it's enduring in that suffering with the Lord and knowing that we have a God who is for us, I think that helps us. And then reminding ourselves that we it's momentary. Um, it's not going to last forever and that 
our suffering has an expiration date. We can one day, there will be no more suffering. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, um, I think that there, there's something just sweet to remember that, that we, and to remember that we have a savior who is a man of sorrows. So he relates to our suffering. He's been tempted in every way, but without sin. And so I think also knowing that we're not alone in our suffering, that we have a savior we can run to in our suffering and who understands is helps us get through it. But we do not want to talk about it because it's hard. Um, But if I think one thing we need to understand is it's universal. Everyone is suffering in some way or has or will. Mm -hmm. So, Julia, encourage us to look at the big picture, because in Romans 8, 18 and 19, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. Uh, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So we've got incredible, inexplainable joy ahead. So let's just keep the big picture in mind. Absolutely. We have, yeah, take our eyeballs and pull. <laughs> That's kind of vulgar, I guess. I love it. I, I didn't. Even, I started laughing before you even told me where to put the eyeballs. Put them towards heaven. Yes, Just there we go. Have an eternal perspective. And I do think reminding ourselves of eternity is is the it's a helpful uh, way to, to endure in suffering, that it is not lasting and that it it produces character and character produces which is a totally different scripture but it all relates because it's god's word and and so i want i want people and myself to always fix our eyes on this this prize of uh, and glory that is to come and um and remember that god does he does good things now as well he gives us tastes of it rainbows where we get to remember and see or something beautiful today he in his kindness he does that but but in the text he does point us towards our an eternal perspective hmm. and that's so it is not worth comparing yeah julia let's talk about uh, as we get later into the uh, romans chapter 8 this is when i get really excited because in 26 it says the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words that's one of the most mind-blowing verses in all of scripture no it's so great i want to hear you talk about it (laughs) it is mind-blowing yeah i mean we're we're in front of an all-powerful all-loving god and sometimes in our human feudal state we don't know how to approach or what to say but Believe me, we've got someone on our behalf going in our place and and interceding in prayer. That's just so thrilling. It is thrilling. And to think that we don't have to be strong. It's in our weakness that we can come before the Lord. And we don't have to have lofty, wonderful, articulate words. We don't have to come to the Lord with um, the right things to say. Um, He knows what we need and our groaning sometimes are too deep for words, and we can't articulate and fully express our what we what we are trying to say to God. But He knows, and He intercedes. We've got a uh, advocate um, in the Savior Jesus, and so I think um, I think it's it is it's so encouraging to think that um, the Spirit helps us in our weakness when I... we don't know what to pray. I agree. And then, of course, Romans eight twenty eight is one that 
most of us know either from memory or we've heard it a million times or we've used it as advice or counsel to others that all things work uh, together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Very important to put that part of the verse in. Uh, It's often misused um, and um, it's a difficult verse that you, you have to work hard to completely and fully understand it correctly. Do I have that right? No, yes, you're exactly okay. right. All things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Yes. But all things work together for good doesn't always mean all things work together for the way you think. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've right. got to make sure that we understand that God, who is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-wise, is working for our good, regardless of what it may look like. It just may seem like a strange path towards this goodness, but it is good. God's not going to do things that are not ultimately for our good, and so we can rest and trust Him. Mm-hmm. And with our time remaining, Trillia, just a couple minutes, let's uh, let's talk about Romans 8.31. What shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us? God is for us. God is, He is not just standing in the gap. He is on our side, and there is absolutely no one and nothing that can thwart his good plans for us. Those rhetorical questions, the rest of them are amazing. It's amazing to think that no one can bring a charge, that no one can come against, that nothing can separate us. God is completely and totally for us. If he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross, bearing the wrath that we deserve, why wouldn't he do all things and give all things? And that's what this, it's amazing, this great salvation, what has God has accomplished um, through his son for us, and to know that the God of the universe is not only this set-apart holy God, but he is our Abba Father who is for us. Mm-hmm. And I love that uh, nothing will separate us from his love. Nothing. Yes, that's, nothing. Yeah, that's a great memory verse, and I memorized it years and years ago, and I, I, I prayed in my head and in my heart weekly. Mm. No, I, it's great. I mean, we need to be reminded in our that it is about love, ultimately, all of this, all of everything he has done and what he does is his, is his love for his people and— um, and nothing can separate us from that. Yeah. Now, Trillia, I'm going to encourage my Bible study to uh, do this, take this project on. It's a six-week Bible study of Romans 8, and it's an all-guy study, but we'd be willing to make an exception if you'd like to come join us. <laughs> Fly me up! Oh, come on! <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> uh, it's just a delight, Trillia, to uh, uh, talk to you, and it's really nice to have this book in my hands. It's going to be a great resource. I'm looking forward to my Bible study doing it. Thank you for putting it together. Thank you for your love for the Lord and the way in which you uh, all the time spend all of your time and energy telling others about him. Thank you. I'm so encouraged and blessed by um, your program in this this segment. Thank you. Thank you. Trilly Newbell has been my guest. Her book is If God is For Us, The Everlasting Truth of Our Great Salvation, a six-week Bible study of Romans 8. We'll take a short break, and we will be right back. to be engaging in thoughtful dialogue with others about what our 
Christian convictions are, what our convictions are. But maybe you fear having an argument. Maybe you feel like, oh, I don't want to do that because it's going to evolve into something that's not going to be pretty. We just need to be better prepared, better equipped. And my guest, uh, Greg Kokel, is... uh, I've got his book in my hand. It's called Tactics. It's been updated and expanded. This is the 10th anniversary edition. It's a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. And I would just say this is a book you're going to definitely want to have in your library. Greg has uh, got his master's degrees in both apologetics and philosophy. He has uh, hosted his own radio talk show for more than 30 years, Defending Christianity, worth thinking about. So don't change the channel because you're about to hear a true radio professional. I'm not talking about myself. Greg, welcome. Well, Bill, uh, you <laughs> flatter me. Thank you. It's good to chat with you again today. Well, th- this book is, uh, is, is a, great, uh, it's a great piece of work. You've done an amazing job, and I love the fact it's been expanded, and I haven't had a chance to, to read all the expanded parts, but uh-huh. I've read the book before, and it's, uh, it's stuff in this book, Greg, sticks in my yeah. brain, and I think well, that's important. Thank you. I, I, I first came out 10 years ago, and in the last 10 years, not only has it made a big difference in so many people's lives, I know because they tell me this all the time when I travel and speak, um, but uh, I've also learned better ways to explain the things that I have in there and develop some new things as well. And this is why I thought a 10th anniversary edition, significantly expanded, updated, uh, would be appropriate for, for, for Christians because it's getting harder and harder and harder um, to engage thoughtfully in the culture, largely because the culture doesn't want to think much. They just want to, they just want to yell a lot. And so I think the tactics that, um, that I teach in the book and the game plan especially, which is the core of the book, are the kind of thing that are going to help multitudes of followers of Jesus to engage more effectively with the people that disagree with them. Mm-hmm. And don't you find, Greg, that when you produce something like this uh, book and then you talk about it over a decade, that it just becomes uh, – y- you make new and more discoveries every time you open your mouth about the book? Yeah, well, I have found that you know by, by teaching people over the last 10 years, um, I just realized, as I mentioned, there are some new ways that I have come to, uh, to ex- explain the other ideas and expand on them. For example – um, I talk about the concept of what I call gardening compared to harvesting. Which I love. Thank you. Uh, it, the, I just give a brief mention of it in the, uh, in, the, in the first edition. In the second edition, I spend a lot more time on it. And the reason is, is because when I talk about this concept, I have people just come unglued with excitement uh, about really functioning in a more free and more effective way in their conversations. Indeed, I was just uh, in the Washington, D.C. area last weekend, and when I gave the opening presentation just on that material, I had during the break, I had three people come up to me. I promise you, three people. And they said, essentially, you have set me free. In fact, that, that was almost their exact words because it gave them um, a real grip on a concept that is not emphasized very much in Christian circles with evangelism, but is emphasized a lot in the Bible. And that might be what you call pre-evangelism, you know, tilling and plowing and making the soil ready. That's why I call it gardening. And so much of the work that is makes an effective harvest is actually done in the gardening phase. And I, most people are not harvesters. I'm not. I'm a gardener. 
you know, and um, and that's what I've seen God work in my life over the last 35, well, actually, I've been a Christian 46 years now. And when I convey that notion carefully to them, as I do in this newer edition of Tactics, people really get excited. As they should, because they can identify themselves as, maybe that's me, I'm more of a gardener. And then all of a sudden, you're you're released from this anxiety of every time you speak to someone for the first time, if I don't lead them to a decision, I'm a failure, which is yeah, ridiculous. Or, or at least try to do that, yes. and that's the pressure a lot of people are in, that make them sit on the fen- on the uh, on the bench quite frankly bill and and uh, so i think you're right about that well you're actually right about it uh, but when you talk about uh, a baseball player getting up cuz it is baseball season and he does does right. not try to get to the to the uh, batter's box to win the game except if it's in the bottom of the ninth you, but you know what i mean he's trying to get on base and advance advance the cause that's right um no game is one Really, I mean, generally speaking, by a single player. It's a bunch of people that are doing small bits here and there and here and there. If you Look, at if you can get somebody that can get on base every single time they're up to bat, this isn't my expectation, but I'm just giving this as an illustration. If you can do that... Then, then you're going to have a winning team um, because you, you know, every time somebody's up to base, they're advancing the other people around. So if we can teach people how to garden, not swing for the fences, not hit home runs, but rather just to show up and get in the batter's box and be taught how to swing effectively. And that's what this is. That's the tactical game plan. We're going to get a whole lot more harvest than we ever have been before, have done before. And I think that so many more people are going to be involved in the process and enjoying it, Bill. Mm-hmm. Like you say in your book, Greg, a lot of people don't go from zero to commitment in one exchange. That's right. And I think I just had my spiritual birthday about um, almost two weeks ago, 46 years as a Christian. And that night in uh, the west side of Los Angeles, 1973, September 28th, uh, my brother came over to talk with me about Christ. And he'd been talking with me for a long time. He was the gardener in my life, the big one. And I just told him, Mark, you don't have to talk to me anymore about Jesus. I've already decided I want to become a Christian. So there is an example of what I'm talking about. When the fruit is ripe, it falls into the basket, Mm -hmm. right? Easy. However, the only way it's going to get ripe is if there was a lot of gardening that was done beforehand. And in my case, it took a lot of gardening. And nowadays, by the way, in most people's case, it takes a lot of gardening, a lot more than before. Mm -hmm. Greg, let's talk about arguing. All right. Yeah, so when we start to find ourselves... (laughs) Oh, yeah. You listen (laughs) up here, pal. Uh, No, we start to find ourselves in arguments. Uh, Is that... Uh, when do we win, when do we lose, and how do we defend our faith and, and do it with, obviously, conviction and and be willing to engage with another person and stand strong? Well, there's a couple things. One is that um, people are, are, like, phobic of arguments a little bit because they think of an argument as a quarrel. And Paul says directly in Second Timothy chapter 2 that we are not to get into fights with people. We're not to get into right. quarrels, okay? Right. That does no good. If anybody gets mad, we're going to lose. If we get mad or they get mad, anybody gets mad, we're going to lose. So we don't want to get into that kind of exchange. However, strictly speaking, an argument is when you're offering a point of view and you're giving reasons for it. Well, that kind of exchange just happens all the time in the Bible, and we are to do that in an amicable, patient kind of way. And in fact, it is very difficult to get people to you know, sink their teeth into the truth unless we are willing to give them reasons why they should believe what we believe. 
Now, sometimes people have emotional experiences. Okay, fair enough. But those things, lots of times, don't last. When Christians leave the church, especially young people, when they're polled, they almost always say that some something to the order of, Nobody answered my questions. I don't see any good reasons to stay a Christian, and this is especially when more attractive options seem to be available to them out there in the world. And so we have an obligation to give the reasons, and the reasons abound, Bill, as you know. They're all out there. And how do we do that in a gracious way without getting in a fight? And this is where the game plan comes in, because what I teach in the book Tactics is a specific game plan that has some three very basic steps, and I teach you how to do it, that employ very particular ways of asking questions in order to move the conversation forward in a friendly fashion. I mean, you do radio interviews just like you're doing now. Uh, I'm doing all the work, <laughs> but you are guiding the conversation by the questions that you ask. And in the same way, um, when we are in conversation with non-Christians, uh, we can avoid having quarrels, that kind of argument, by knowing how to maneuver with questions to direct the conversation so that they're doing more of the talking and we're doing less, but we're, getting, we're making progress for our view because of the way that the game plan is being used. And that's the key to the whole thing, Bill. Mm-hmm. So, Greg, do you want to ask me a question so I do more of the work? <laughs> no, I want to be. I want to do the talking here. <laughs> okay, this is just the way. It, this is just the way it's supposed to go. I so, know. Uh, but but when but when we're if you are a non-Christian, I definitely would do that. I right. would definitely ask you some questions about, say, a challenge that you offered me. Almost every single time somebody offers a challenge to Christianity, Bill, there's there's some ambiguity there. They might say, well, everything's relative, or the Bible's been changed, or there, there is no God. So instead of trying, for me, if you were to offer that to me as a non-Christian and a challenge, I wouldn't try to immediately fix the problem for you. Lots of Christians don't know how to fix some of those problems, you know, and I appreciate that. Rather, I'm going to uh, ask a question. And my basic first question is to gather information to get more understanding of exactly what the person's view is or what their challenge to Christianity is. And that's why I'm going to ask them some form of the question, uh, what do you mean by that? So if they say, well, the Bible's been changed. Really? Tell me about it. In what way has it been changed? How has it been corrupted? Now it's their turn to talk. Right. What's amazing in a question like that, though, is a lot of people say the Bible's been changed because they've heard other people say the Bible's been changed, not because they've ever studied the issue. If they studied the issue, they would realize that this is not the problem that a lot of people make it out to be. But they haven't studied the problem, they threw out the challenge, and it stonewalls Christians. If the Christian just simply said, okay, go on, tell me a little bit more about what you understand how the Bible's been changed, and then see where they go. Now, incidentally, even if a Christian doesn't know how to answer the question, by uh, I mean answer the challenge, by asking that question, they throw the ball into the other person's court, it buys them some time, it makes it a friendly exchange, and then you get to see what the other person has. If the other person has something substantial that you don't know uh, how to deal with it, you can thank them for the information and say, you know what, I want to think about that. That's a fair point. Let me think about that. 
And when you say, let me think about that, it takes all the pressure off of you. You don't have to answer because you can't because you don't know that. But then when the pressure is off, you can do some study and find out about it. There's no problem with not having the right answer. Um, I have lots of things I don't know have the answers to. So, but, but I think it's fair to be able to say, okay, explain your concern more thoroughly. What do you mean by that? And then let me think about it. So there's just a, a little example of, of how in circumstances like that, that game plan can work very comfortably and effectively in a, in a conversation where you want to make a point, you're trying to get something across or answer a challenge, but you don't exactly know what to do. Mm-hmm. You don't have to get caught flat-footed, just ask a question, especially the question, what do you mean by that? All right, or Greg, some variation. Yeah, that's awesome. Let me take a little break. When I come back, lots more with Greg Kokel. He's my guest. His book is Tactics, now in its 10th anniversary edition. You're going to want to get your hands on one of these copies and have it in your library. We'll take a short break and be right back. glad to be talking to Greg Kopel. Uh, he's been on the show a couple of times before, and his book, Tactics, is uh, it's a great, great book. Uh, I, it's been expanded. It's, uh, there's 40% more material. He's had a decade to think about it, and he's done some great additions. And it's a, a great way to learn how to initiate conversations a little bit more effortlessly, how to be always presenting the truth clearly, and do it cleverly, and do it persuasively. And be gracious and effective and be able to skillfully manage the details of a dialogue. Because I I love your Columbo effect because that keeps things on track, keeping people accountable to what they say. Because often, Greg, like you say, they're just repeating something they've heard. That's right. Well, you mentioned Columbo, and a lot of people remember Lieutenant Columbo from like three decades ago on Mm -hmm. TV. And, of course, reruns are still in play. And he was the one who had seemed disarming. You know, he was a... Uh, like he was befuddled much of the time. And, and uh, I mean, he seemed kind of stupid, uh, but he was stupid like a fox, right? right. Because he, he had a technique, and that was to kind of ask these innocent-sounding questions that allowed him to gather the information he needed and then finally move in for the kill, so to speak, to capture the bad guy. Now, we're not in for the kill, as it were, but we are in to make a point and to encourage people. And I find that using questions provides something that's been missing for a lot of people, and that is a bridge from the content to the conversation or from the scholarship to the relationship. You can uh, learn a lot of stuff from books or, you know, our own radio show at Stand to Reason or our website at str.org or uh, other things that other great people have written. You can learn them, but then the question is, how do you get those into play effectively in a conversation? And this is where the game plan comes in. It, it provides that bridge into a conversation, but in a clever way, using questions to maneuver. I mentioned the first stage of the game plan is to um, 
uh, is to gather information. You just want to get more information. Before you think about going anywhere else, just get as much information as you can from the people about their own view and their own objection. And that gives you some foundation to, to move forward maybe from uh, to, the, to the next question that you might ask. But it's a super easy way to have friendly conversations. Yeah, Greg, how important is it to anticipate some objections that you might get so you can maybe have some of this thought through in advance? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty important and um, because most people, and that includes me, are not quick on their feet. That is, they don't, they're not able to come back with a snappy rejoinder or a quick fact or they're back at you kind of thing. Um, and, so, uh, and so it's a good idea to prepare in advance. So here, here's a question. I mean, here's an idea. Somebody listening here maybe has an objection or a challenge to Christianity that if they're talking to somebody about Christ, they dread having the other person raise. You know, they say, oh, man, I hope he doesn't ask this question or he doesn't go here. Well, that's the one they should take and say in advance um, when the pressure is off uh, on their own, um, find out maybe a good way that or I should say content wise, a good way of dealing with that challenge first. So, you know, the content second, find a way to maneuver in a conversation if somebody asks you that question, find a way to maneuver with that content with questions, with a question. And so um, uh, I remember, for example, uh, before the the Obergefell decision on the Supreme Court about same-sex marriage, you know, people say, well, you don't believe in marriage equality. You don't believe in marriage equality uh, to the Christian because we don't believe in same-sex marriage. You know, that's, that makes it sound like we're really, really narrow. Okay, so so what do you say to that? I actually was thinking about this, and so I came up with a question. Do you think that children should get married? Well, of course not. Okay, well, then you don't believe in marriage equality either. You just believe that the definition of marriage should be expanded to include same-sex couples. So since neither of us believe in marriage equality, why do you think that the ch- definition of marriage should be changed? Notice that there are two questions there. Okay. One question is to deflect the the charge that I don't believe in marriage equality, and they do. The second question is to get them to make some justification for their point of view. Now, somebody listening may think, well, what if he say, says this, that, or the other thing? Well, I'm not carrying this whole conversation out. I'm just using it as an illustration about how I thought in advance of a question to parry the tough charge that comes right out at you and you don't know how to respond to. That's the kind of thing that anybody can do with any charge or any challenge to buy them a little bit more time. That's preparing in advance that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's really helpful. A lot. I appreciate that, Greg. Talk about the stone in the shoe. Oh, yeah. Well, I mentioned a little bit earlier about gardening, and uh, I tell audiences now that when I get in a conversation that I hope will have a spiritual impact in somebody's life, I never... I, I never plan to try to lead them to the Lord. I, I never even plan to give them the gospel. And, uh, of course, I want them to become Christians, and the gospel is necessary, but I don't know anything about where they're at, and I need some intel to find out before I know how to proceed. And this is the whole game plan that comes in, gathering information, etc. Now, um, what is my goal, though, if my goal isn't to lead them to the Lord? 
And I'll tell you my goal. My goal is to just, as you put it, put a stone in their shoe. That is, give them something worth thinking about. I was at George Mason University speaking uh, last weekend, and I told that to the crowd, to the audience right at the outset. I said, I'm not here to convert you tonight, but I do want to uh, annoy you a little bit in a good way. I want to put a stone in your shoe. I want you walking out of the auditorium here with something that I've said that's getting at you a little bit, and you're thinking about Jesus because I think Jesus is worth thinking about. So that's the only goal that I have. I, I'm not under, I don't place myself under a big pressure to try to, you know, get the people to sign on the dotted line. No, I'm just committed to gardening. That's all I'm committed to. Who knows where the conversation is going to go? Maybe it'll go all the way. But I'm not under pressure to push it all the way. I realize I'm not the only one on the team. There's lots of people on the team like me, and most of us are gardeners, I'm convinced. And so if I could just get in there and do a little bit of good by asking some questions to get somebody thinking, I'm going to be a happy camper. I just want to put a stone in their shoe. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that very much. I also am going to ask if you have an opportunity to present the gospel clearly to a group, uh, do you not also feel uh, compelled to it? to at least offer an invitation for people to pray to receive Christ? Well, this, this is not my style, okay. and I'll tell you why. Um, if I have an opportunity to offer the, the gospel in a clear way, I'll take it. But notice, you know, Jesus didn't give the good news every single time he spoke mm-hmm. through the gospels. Most of the time he gave the bad news and not sit there a bit. But um, if I might say something like... Um, you know, about about putting, I said, I invite people to follow Jesus or to trust Jesus. But I, I don't really do much altar call kind of stuff. I do the same thing that you see in the book of Acts. The altar call stuff, like giving a people a challenge to trust Christ, this is historically new. 19th century, actually, in the Second Great Awakening. Prior to that, you didn't have that kind of thing, and you don't have it actually in the book of Acts. What you have is the gospel being preached and communicated to people, and then people either believe or don't believe. Now, I'm not against altar calls so much, but sometimes I think altar calls, the way they're done with the music and the emotional appeals, end up getting decisions that aren't really conversions. Mm -hmm. And I want conversions, so I don't want to rush the matter. Uh, I want the Holy Spirit to work to bring conviction of sin and a need for someone to put their a conscious need, awareness of the need for somebody to put their trust in Christ. So I'm just I'm going to follow a biblical um, motif without feeling bad about presenting the good news without asking for a decision. And if the circumstances seem good, I might ask people if they want to trust in Christ. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, and if they want to pray to do that. But I don't feel the pressure to do that. Because what, what you want is this wave of, of reason, this rush of reason to come into a person's mind and heart, prompted by the Holy Spirit that says, this is something I want to do, like, now. Yeah, you, you want to, we give them the, the wave of reason, so to speak, the good reason, mm-hmm. the sound gospel well-defended, and then the Holy Spirit takes that and does what he wants with it. And uh, it's up to Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, to to make the changes in people's hearts, and that's that's what I'm looking for. I want to communicate the truth as clearly, as persuasively, and as graciously as possible, and then let God take it from there. Mm-hmm. Because as exciting as evangelism is, and to me, it's the most exciting thing in, in the world to do. There are times when you need to focus on gardening, because well, I, yeah. I actually think gardening is the heart of evangelism. Oh, I, I, yeah. and, does that make sense? Oh, total sense. And, 
and and I'm thankful for people like you, Bill, for whom evangelism is really exciting. But there's a whole bunch of people out there that it's not exciting for, and it's not the main thing in my life. My heart is more for discipleship than it is for evangelism. But evangelism is something that needs to be a part of every Christian's life. So even the Christians that aren't jazzed about it or even frightened about it, once they get a good game plan in their hands, like they can find in the book Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions, this is going to motivate them to get involved in a significant part of evangelism, and that is the gardening. And that's what I get thrilled about. Mm -hmm. And I would agree, Greg, and I would think of myself as a gardener. Uh I do love evangelism, but the more I think about it, I, I do love to get people thinking and ask them questions and have them question their questions and talk about their doubts. And to me, that's where it gets really exciting. Yeah. yeah if uh, Here's the way I think I'd put it for you, Bill. You love closing the deal when you can. But if you, <laughs> if you can't close the deal, you can't do the harvest, then you can do the garden, and that's great, too. It's all part of the same process. Oh, you made me feel so good, Greg. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for doing the show, and congratulations on uh, your work. And this is a great 10th anniversary edition of a book called Tactics. It's been updated and expanded. Greg Kokel. K-O-U-K-L is my guest. This is a book you're going to just want to have in your library. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much for listening and being with us today. Um, Just I love you, and I, I love that you support and listen to Faith Radio. As you lay your head on the pillow tonight, just know that God's working out his great plan in your life. 